Welcome to the Arena Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. Good? Yeah, good, good, good Christmas period. Yeah, hopefully a lot of people have eaten a lot, like me and Paul have, and uh, enjoyed the festivities. Um, so at the start of every single year, uh, what we do is, we've been doing this for about three years, I think now, this is probably our fourth year of doing it, we enter into a period of prayer and fasting. Who's just entered into that before with us on the 21 days? Yeah. So this is the last day really before we start that. So our 21 days of prayer and fasting start tomorrow. And what we're asking people to do is this, to come together as the people of God to say, hey, we've got it right at the start of this year, we're going to put you first. And what that means for us is that we're going to deny ourselves of certain things, whether it be food for certain days or meals or certain types of food, so that we can increase our intensity of seeking in God. And if you don't know too much about fasting, but you're a Christian, let me tell you, this is something that's part of what we do here at Arena. It's a part of what we do in our faith. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. But there's going to be some more information as well at our prayer point and next steps. But first service of 2019, I believe that this is going to set the tone for the year. Anybody else? And listen, it's so great to see so many of you this year. But I believe this. I believe that God's got uh, your best in front of you. I don't believe it's behind you. I believe it's ahead of you. I don't know what 2018 was like, but I know that 2019 can be better as you press into God and as you step into God as well. Uh, Dave, I just wanted to just say... I, I was drawn to you in worship. It must be that beautiful face of Dave's. Um, but I, I, I just want to say, I, I want to honour Dave just this morning. Can we give Dave a round of applause? The reason I want to do that is because uh, not a lot of you will know Dave, because Dave and his wife, Nat, are based over at Ilkeston. But Dave and Nat have been in our church for many, many, many years. And Dave, you just serve so consistently, and I love that. And you're not looking for any praise or, or adoration or any spotlight. You just serve, and I flipping love that. And um, I want to say that those dreams that God's put in your heart, they're still there. God's not forgotten about them. And he's going to bring them into being as you continue to step into him. Um, But yeah, I've just felt that in worship, mate. Just want to thank you for everything that you do in Arena Church. Um, But we're starting a new series today called Don't Forget. Don't Forget. And really, this series is about foundations. Who was here last week for for our interview? I, I don't know about you, but I thought it was great. I got obviously a front row seat to, to hear Jazz and Christine and Louise. Phenomenal series. And, and really, we kicked the series off last week, but I'm going to continue it today. And we're going to look at Matthew 7, verse 24 to 25, which really is going to be the foundation for this morning. And it's Jesus speaking, and he says this. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, home over improvements to your standard of living. They're foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you're like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. Who knows that foundations matter? You know, when it gets icy outside, it causes chaos, doesn't it? Because the foundation's slippery, people falling over, cars crashing, it just creates chaos. I just want to take you back to a couple of years on a a Friday night, and it was a universal meeting, which is our youth ministry at Arena. And um, it must have been, it was before we started over here at Mansfield, so it must have been maybe four years ago now. 
But we, are, we probably had 50 to 70 people in on this Friday night. It was completely blacked out because it's a youth service, so it was like pitch black, apart from a few stage lights. You couldn't see anything apart from maybe a few people on the stage. The music was loud, and we were just in this amazing time of worship. 50 to 70 young people worshipping God, lifting God up. And our sound guy for the night... He decided that there was some issue. I, I, I can't, Jazz is already laughing because I think he knows what's coming. Our, our sound guy for the night, he, he realised that there was some issue. Our, our sound guys are great, they're amazing, aren't they? That no one else knew about, though. <laughs> no one else knew about the issue. So our sound guy, Nathaniel, decides to step on stage in pitch black. And the next thing we know, we're in this amazing worship. The next thing we know, Nathan has fallen flat on his face. Literally, Nathaniel has fallen flat. On his face. Now, he probably would have got away with that if he wouldn't have tripped over the plug that had the lights and the music on. Right in the middle of this intense worship moment, the whole music just goes. The music, everyone, of course, bursts out in laughter, losing the plot. It was so funny. I'll never, ever forget that moment. But basically, Nathaniel had forgotten about his foundation. He was walking in pitch black, and because it was pitch black, he tripped over this lead. You see, I think this serves as a metaphor for what I want to talk about today. Because when we forget our foundations, we trip up. We get lost. When we forget our foundations, we mess up. When we forget our foundations, we get to a place where it's hard to come back with. When we speak about foundations, you might say, Josh, what are you talking about? Well, we know from last week, as I said, the ultimate foundation is Jesus. In this, in this, um, in this passage of scripture in Matthew 7, Jesus says, these words I speak on incidental additions to your life, home over improvements to your standard of living, they are foundational words, words to build a life on. And as I said last week, Jesus is called the Word made flesh. So what Jesus is saying here is this, build your life on me. But as well as that, there are things, Christian disciplines that we can put into our lives, foundations that lead us to God, that keep us connected to God. And that's what we're going to be speaking about in this series. Foundations that keep Jesus as our central focus. Foundations that keep Jesus in uh, number one in our hearts. These are things like worship, reading the Bible, the gathering, what we're doing here in small groups. And today we're going to look at prayer and fasting, as I've already spoken about. As we enter into this season of prayer and fasting tomorrow, this season where we come together corporately as a church and we seek God for what he's going to do through Arena and in your life personally. It's what a time where we set aside to say, God... We're going to put you first again, where we come to him and ask him, God, what have you got for us this year? What do you want for us this year? We remind ourselves in this period, and I love to remind myself in this period, that God is not about my plan, it's about yours. In this season, in previous years, there's testimonies, even in this room today, stories of what God's done in this period, financial breakthrough, healing, People being set free from mental and mental health issues. People stepping into new careers. People coming back to God again. You know, if your, if your faith is, is gone a bit stale, this is a great time to come back to God again and say, God, I'm going to chase after you. God, I'm not going to leave you. God, I'm going to come to you again. 
And I believe that this year that we're going to see more, than that, more of that than ever before as we come together as arena and step in to what God's got for us. See, in Matthew 6, Jesus says this about fasting. He says, when you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show others the fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've reached their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your father who's unseen. And your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. A friend of mine brought one of his friends to church a few years ago, and this guy hadn't been in church before, hadn't come to church. He brought his friend, and as the offering bucket was going round, his friend who had brought reached across to him and pulled a 20 out of his pocket and said, put that in for me. (laughs) Acting big time, letting him know what he was doing. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, look, when you fast... Don't make it about what. Don't make it about you. Don't make it about you know. I, I, don't make it about Paul trying to think that you know. Paul thinking. I want Paul to think I look good. Paul, I'm so weak. I've been fasting days on end. Because what Jesus is saying is this: when you do that, you've got your reward from people. He says, but don't look for your reward from people. Look for your reward from heaven. So when we fast, we're not supposed to walk round and. Heads down and walk into work. What's up with you? You fast. Oh, you've not fasting again, are you? <laughs> That's the worst thing you could do. Jesus says, look, act normal. Put great clothes on. Be more passionate than ever before. Because that, you, when you do that, you get your reward from me. I find it interesting here that Jesus doesn't say, if you fast. He says, when. When you fast. See, fasting should be as much of a spiritual foundation in our lives as prayer or as worship or reading the Bible or coming together. We wouldn't dream of of saying we could live a strong Christian life without prayer or without reading our Bibles or without coming to church on a Sunday. But for some reason, we neglect fasting. Maybe it's because we don't understand it that well. Or maybe it's because it costs us something. See, biblical fasting is denying yourself of food for a period of time to increase the intensity of your seeking of God. And no doubt this is hard because we're so reliant on food, aren't we, like Paul spoke about, especially after we've indulged over Christmas. But the metaphor here is while our bodies crave food, our spirit craves relationship with Jesus far more. In John 6, verse 35, Jesus says of himself, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. See, the bread that Jesus serves is not bread to fill us temporarily. The bread Jesus serves sustains us for eternity. See, I I can go to McDonald's, order my large Big Mac meal, and let me tell you, after I've finished that meal, I'm ready to eat another one because I'm already ready for some more food. And Jesus is saying this, look, the food that you eat, you'll be hungry again in a few hours. But come to me, I am the bread of life. And a relationship with me, it'll sustain you forever. Time with me, it'll sustain you forever. See, Jesus is encouraging us to focus not on the temporary, but focus on the eternal. Something that lasts forever. This is what we do when we fast. 
We say, God, I'm not seeking after this world. I'm not seeking after things that fade. God, I'm going to go after you. God, I'm going to run after you. God, I'm not going to go after my whims and desires. I'm going to go after your plan. We deny ourselves of earthly fulfillment to be filled in a unique spiritual way. I just want to tell you a few things that fasting is not. Fasting isn't starving yourself. Fasting isn't starving yourself. I've got this wrong so many times throughout my life where I've said, yeah, I'm going to fast. And I've gone off to work and all I've done is starved myself. I've just not, not eaten. I've forgot to pray. I've forgot to seek God even more. See, that's not fasting. That's just a diet, basically. When we, when we fast, it's not just about not eating. It's that combination of not eating. And when we're hungry, praying and pushing in and stepping into God. When we get those pangs of hunger, we remind ourselves again that, God, I'm coming after you. God, I'm going to pray. God, I'm going to step in. God, I'm going to believe for more. Again, fasting is not starving yourself. The other thing fasting isn't, is it's not twisting God's arm. I think some people feel like that when they fast, God has to do it because they've fasted. That is completely what fasting is not. If you've got a Ferrari on your list for 2019 and you think, if I fast, I'm going to get it, uh, I'm sorry to say, probably it won't happen. I'm a Man United fan. If I fast, what do you think, Paul? If I fast for 30 days, do you think? Nah. Yes. (laughs) Probably longer than 70. (laughs) Someday in eternity. Fasting, (laughs) Fasting is not twisting God's arm. It's not telling God what to do. You don't fast and immediately get what you want. It's more about God showing you what he wants for you, what he wants to do through you. That's what fasting's about, saying, God, I'm more concerned about what you've got for me than what I've got for me. And when we fast, we seek God more, we seek him more intensely, and we get on his page. I don't know about you, but I want God's plan for my life. God knows far better than me. God knows far greater than me. I want what God wants. I don't want what Josh wants. It's a deeply spiritual way of increasing our intensity of prayer. See, prayer and fasting go hand in hand. Prayer's powerful, but prayer and fasting is an explosive combination. A, a, a metaphor that's not perfect for prayer and fasting is if I, if I pray, it's like me walking up to that, I think that's a stud wall, Paul, maybe, maybe not. It's like me walking up to a stud wall and punching away at it. And, and, and I'd see some breakthrough. If, if it was a stud wall, I think I'd get through it eventually. But what fasting's like and prayer, I believe, is it's like picking up a sledgehammer and banging away at that wall. And you see even more breakthrough. And you see more impact. Because there's more intensity, isn't there? That's what I believe the metaphor is for prayer and fasting. Today, I just want to say this as well. Fast as you feel led. Don't do something because the person on your left and your right is doing it. Fast as you feel led. There's no pressure here for you to do anything. There's no pressure on you to, to, uh, to go 21 days without food. There's no pressure on you to, to do absolutely anything. You fast as you feel led by God. But I want to encourage you to seek God as to what to fast. Don't just do nothing, especially if you're a follower of Jesus. If you've never done this before, why don't you step in and say, you know what? I'm going to deny myself of something so I can step into God. Some people will fast odd days. Some people will fast alternate days. Some people will miss a meal. Some people will do something called the Daniel fast. 
like I said, I've not got time to go into that, but if you go and see us at a prayer point or a resource hub afterwards, we'll help you with that. Or come and speak to me or Paul or Andy. We'd love to talk to you about what you can do. But just a final thing on, on fasting. Don't fast something that costs you nothing. It'd be so simple for me to say, I'm going to fast vegetables for the entire year. <laughs> I hate vegetables. <laughs> That'd be the best thing in my life ever. And I've, seen, I've heard a few people say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to fast like um, smoky barbecue crisps. What about salt and vinegar? Yeah, salt and vinegar is fine. Just smoky barbecue. Don't fast something that costs you nothing. Because let me tell you, there's no point in doing that. It's about denying ourselves of something so we can step into God more than ever before. And to look at prayer, I want to take us to 1 Samuel 14. It says this. Sorry, just to set the scene first. In 1 Samuel 13, King Saul's army have been abandoning him because of fear. They're scared to death. Basically, they're faced with this huge Philistine army. 3,000 chariots, it says. 6,000 charioteers and soldiers as numerous as sand on the seashore. That's what it says. And Saul's army have been depleted to a point where they've only got 600 men. Now, that's not the only problem because we see as well that the Philistines have been quite clever and they've taken captive um, all the blacksmiths from, from the Israelites. So the only people in the entire army of 600 who've actually got a weapon are King Saul and his son. Needless to say, they're in a mess. They've got a problem. I think King Saul's scared here. I think he's hiding. I don't think he knows what to do. He's got a small army with no weapons against this huge, strong army. And they're scared to death. His son, Jonathan, sneaks off. And we pick up the account in verse 6. It says this. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I'm with you, heart and soul. Jonathan said, come on. We will cross over toward them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until you come, we will stay where we are and not go up with them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them show themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines. The Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind. The Philistines, the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearers killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. Then panic struck the whole army, those in the camp and field and those in the outposts and raiding parties and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. See, because of Jonathan and his armor bearer, an army of 600 defeated an army of tens of thousands. Unbelievable. You might say today, Josh, how does that relate to prayer? I don't see it. Well, what's written in the Old Testament is a glimpse and representation of what's to come through Christ. And while Jonathan fights here with the sword, we're called to fight in the spirit. 
See, we see in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3, it says, For though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sells itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. See, in and because of Jesus, we no longer have to fight in our own strength. We fight in his. So prayer is how we fight. Prayer and the Bible are our weapons against the evil in our world, against those who'd come against us. We don't fight like the world with our fists. We fight with the power of God. It's the way we fight in the office. It's the way we fight for our family. It's the way we fight for our country. It's the way we fight for the lost. It's the way we fight for our finances and our blessing. Prayer is how we fight. I know you want to take it into your own hands and do your own thing and sort it on yourself, but prayer is the way that we fight. This passage in 1 Samuel 14 is teaching us how to prevail in prayer. Prayer is the way we fight. The next thing I see is this, that we should pray with faith. In verse 6, it says, Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do you know that it's fear that proves faith? It's easy to have faith when there's nothing to fear. But here's Jonathan in a time when his own father, the king of the nation, seems to be incapacitated by fear, saying he has faith to believe that God can do it. I love here how Jonathan says, he says, perhaps. Uh, isn't the Bible so real? He, he says, perhaps. Isn't that what it's like to take a step of faith? Perhaps. Because if we knew that it was going to happen, if we knew it was always going to work out, if we knew every time that we stepped out in faith that God was going to be right there, he is going to be there. But if we knew it was always going to be fine, wouldn't it, there'd be no faith required, would there? We'd just do it. But Jonathan here, he says, perhaps the Lord will come through. See, that's faith speaking. Perhaps God will work for us. But what he isn't doing is questioning God's strength. Because he goes on to say, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. What he's saying is this. He's saying, I'm not going to tell God what to do. Because I think a lot of the times we do that. We say, God, you need to do this. God, you need to do that. That's not faith. That's arrogance. You can't order God around. I'm sorry to say it today. No matter how much you, you think you know about this life, I'm sorry to say that God knows far, far more. We can't order God around. And when Jonathan's saying perhaps, he's more saying, hey, I'm not so arrogant to say that God's going to do this, this, and this. But I do know this. He can come through. He can do it. See, our prayers should be filled with this faith that God cares enough to be bothered and he's strong enough to save you. He's strong enough to bring your prayer into being. Let's not pray prayers that are devoid of faith. Faith. Let's not pray prayers that are focused on our weakness, on our smallness. Let's pray prayers that are focused on the bigness of God. Let's pray prayers that are focused on the greatness of God. He's the God who makes streams through the desert. 
He's the God who makes blind eyes see. This is a huge God. He's the God who created heaven and earth. Let's pray prayers that require faith. I think so often we pray prayers that we can probably do on our own. They don't require miracles. They just require a few of the right things going to plan. Why not at the start of 2019, you start believing God again for those big things? Why don't you believe for that son again? Why don't you believe for that daughter again? Why don't you believe that you can see that workplace saved again? Why don't you pick up your faith and say, God, it seems impossible to me, but I know in you, you can do it. Why don't you believe God for that healing? Why don't you believe God for that financial breakthrough? Why not now? Why not you? God has never let anybody down, and I'm here to tell you today, he will not start with you. 2019 is the time. Let's pick up the prayer of faith again. See, the next thing I see, I think so pertinent for us right now. In verse 7, it says this, Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you, heart and soul. Wow. On the back of Jonathan telling his armor bearer that he was going to go and attack this huge army, this army where everybody else was scared, Jonathan's saying, look, to be honest, we could die. Quite literally, we could die. His armor bearer doesn't say, oh, I'll see, I'll see how it goes. He says, do what you have in mind. I am with you, heart and soul. What a friend. What a follower, what unity that this man would say this in the sight of what was crippling fear. I am with you, heart and soul. If we can get this spirit in Arena Church, this spirit of unity, where we lay down our personal agendas and we say, we're going to come together, heart and soul. I want to follow like this armor bearer. I want to follow like this man. I want this to be the way that I follow our leader, Christian, as we believe that God will, fall, will transform this M1 corridor. That we say, mate, look, it seems crazy. It seems outlandish. It's scary. But guess what? I am going to be with you, heart and soul. As we come together to pray and fast, this is where it gets exciting because my sledgehammer analogy when hundreds of people come together and instead of one person slogging away at a wall, hundreds are, let me tell you, the wall comes down so much quicker. The wall comes down so much faster and we see breakthrough together. Can you lay down your agenda? Can you lay down yourself to see what God wants to do in this town? Because let me tell you, I think that there's been so many amazing people in this town over the years. But I believe that God's calling us to greater unity than ever before so we can see him move in this town. You know what? God wants to see this town saved more than you and me. He's so bothered about it. He so cares about your workplace, your friends, your family. Can we lay down our agendas? Can we lay down our individual issues to say we're going to come together heart and soul? This is why I want to encourage you. Paul told us about First Tuesday over at Ilkeston. This is why I want to encourage you to come to that. I know it might cost you something. I know you might be tired after work. I know it might not be easy with the kids. I know you might be hungry and all that sort of stuff after work. But listen to me. The power of coming together in a place to, to say, God, we're going to put you first, to pray, to, to worship together, that is so powerful. 
And I want to ask you today, if you've never been to First Tuesday before, if you don't normally come, why don't you make this one the time when you say, I'm going to come and we're going to get together? Because if we can get Mansfield and Ilkeston together in that place, if we can worship God, if we can praise him, if we can lift him up, I believe we'll see amazing breakthrough. I want to ask you today, are you in heart and soul? Are you, or are you one foot in and one foot out? In for the good times when everybody's on board, but out for when it gets a little bit harder, when it requires something of you. Are you just focused on you, on your agenda? Is coming to arena all about you? Or are you focused on what God's got for this town, what God's got for you, what God's got for this place? If we can come together in prayer, heart and soul will see God move in amazing ways. We'll see this town changed as we all come together and believe God for more. And the last thing I see is that prayer and bold action go hand in hand. It says here that, so Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. See, God-centered prayer always leads to action. God-centered prayer always leads to action. Faith-filled prayer, being together, heart and soul, always culminate in the people of God being motivated to action as God leads us. That's what happens when we pray. See, our prayers can't just stay as nice words. It must manifest itself in our world as we take the ground that we've asked God for. See, bold prayers don't stay in the bedroom or our lounge or our church. They come to reality as we walk into what God leads us to. As we pray for that workplace, we ask God to give us the strength the boldness and the courage to take the action that he's calling us to. Do you see what I'm saying here? It isn't just about saying one thing in our privacy and just not being bothered in the world. We pray in our bedrooms so that God will move in our world through us. See, God wants to use you. Stop praying for God to send someone when he's already sent you. He's placed you there. I've got a sense that this year, God has given you your family. God's given you your workplace. God's given you that social group. If you'll step up and answer the prayers that you've been praying. This is the amazing thing about God is that he chooses to work through you and me. He wants to work through you and me. I'll be bold enough to say today that God will not change your workplace without a person. He's looking for someone. That's why Isaiah says, here I am, send me God. Have we got the kind of people in arena who are so passionate about Jesus, so passionate about their town, so passionate about their workplace that they'll have that attitude of, here I am, God, send me. Will you be the answer to your own prayer? You might have been praying for revival for years and all the time God's saying, go then. Go. Go. This year, God's got something stored up for you. Like Paul says, we stand on the precipice of opportunity. The question is this, will you step in? It's going to be scary. It's going to be, it's going to, there's going to be fear at times. But let me tell you, 
you can see God move in your life. You can see God break through. I'm excited about the church who will pray bold prayers and take courageous action. I'm excited about the church who will stand up and have faith to follow through on the prayers we pray. I'm excited about a church who gets passionate about their generation, about the lost, the broken, and the, the hurting. We need some people who say, like the, the Jonathan's armor bearers, who say, climb up after me. Come on, we're going to do this. We're going to go for this. We're going to get after this together. Listen, I'm nearly done. But I want to ask you today, in this period of prayer and fasting, right at the start of 2019, will you lay yourself down to follow God? Will you deny yourself to follow God? Because honestly, if we do that, if we do that as Arena Mansfield, the number, there's probably 100 people here today. As we begin to get hold of what God's calling us to, and as we walk into that, I promise you, this room will be so full that we can't, we've not even got enough chairs for people. I promise you. That's what happens when the people of God respond to what God's saying. He moves. He does something. He's not a God who's silent. He's not a God who's far off. He's close. And let me tell you, he wants to move in your life. And he wants to move in this town.